most people's bucket lists are completely untouched because they got excited about it doing it. They got the dopamine hit and then they didn't do anything with it. And the impossible list is kind of focused on what feels impossible right now. Okay. How fast can you do that? What's up? My name is CJ Finley and this is the Thrive on Life podcast. I started a brand called Thrive on Life to help other mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. Each week, we interview people on topics of business, health, relationships, mindset, and much more to help us thrive in all areas of life. If the messages in this podcast resonate with you, but you're still feeling a little bit stuck in actually implementing these ideas, I'd love to help you on a more personalized level or connect you with somebody that can. So please reach out. Also, if you've got a friend who you know could benefit from hearing this episode, please share the love with them. My goal is always to spread positive impact through the sharing of knowledge, and I would be honored if you could help me achieve this goal. Today's guest is Joel Runyon, the founder of Impossible, a company dedicated to helping people push their limits and do impossible things. In 2017, Joel became the youngest person in the world to run seven ultra marathons on seven different continents. Along the course of the ultra marathons, he also raised $192,000 for Pencils of Promise and built seven schools with those donations. Today, Joel continues to help others achieve the impossible through his blog, gear, and supplement line in which he recently launched. This conversation was super inspiring for me because listening to Joel and how he utilizes his brand to help other people with the amazing feats he pursues has encouraged me to think bigger when it comes to the impact that I wanna make. And I'm very much hoping it has the same effect for you. So let's all work on doing the impossible and welcome Joel Runyon to the show. What is up, Thrive Fam? CJ Finley here again with another episode of the Thrive on Life podcast. And today we are going to do the impossible with one of my buddies here in Austin, Texas, Mr. Joel Runyon. I'm really excited for this conversation. He inspires me with the things that he's working on. I'm really looking forward to maybe inspiring you to take the leap and do something that you might consider impossible. But before we get started, how are you doing today, Joel? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Hell yeah. So first question I have for you is, I met you, I think about a couple months ago, our, our friend Angela hosted a PowerPoint night and <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you honestly, like you, you had the, you had the best one in my eyes, Yes, Mr. Comedian over here. Um, it was really funny. And the cool thing was I kind of got to see the 180 degrees of you because I learned that not only did you put it together a PowerPoint that was funny and comedic, but you've ran seven ultra marathons on seven different continents. And I haven't even ran a half marathon. So yeah, it's really fucking impressive that you've done that. And it kind of got me thinking about when I hear impressive things like that, I like to go right for what was the most difficult point in those seven obstacles that you had to conquer. Was it the race itself? Was it the travel? Was it leading up to it? Did you have any hiccups? If I were to ask you what was the hardest part of trying to conquer that challenge, what would your response be? So I think a lot of people kind of are expecting like a race answer, like, hey, you know, the running. And um, when I started, the running was the intimidating part, right? Like that was the thing I was like, I'd done a couple ultra marathons at that point, but not a bunch. And I was like, I don't even know if people can do this many ultra marathons. I didn't, I didn't know how many people had. So I was intimidated by the running and what ended up being almost tougher was some of the logistical challenges. So like background did this uh, personal challenge to run seven ultra marathons on seven continents in 
raise money to build seven schools around the world. And I did this big launch thing and I told people that I was going to do it. And I was like, hey, got people hyped and started raising money. Go out and do my first race. And 26 miles into my first race in Patagonia, Chile, I'm coming down a hill and I roll my ankle really, really badly. I get like, you know, blown by like a 20 mile per hour gust of wind going down a hill and basically roll my ankle past my foot and just jack up my leg really bad. And I'm like, I'm not going to quit now. I'm going to keep going. And I thought it was just an ankle roll at first or whatever. I've rolled my ankle playing basketball dozens and dozens of times. I was like, I'm just going to keep going. So I like basically limped, hoofed the last 14 miles of that race. And I was like, I'll just ice it. It'll be fine in the next day. And then right after that, get back home. And, you know, I've been doing these 20 mile runs and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to like you know, test out my legs, see how I go. And I could barely run like a quarter mile. And I was like, oh, something's wrong. And so um, ended up basically pretty much jacking up, not tearing, but jacking up my peroneal tendon really, really badly. And one race in, it's like, you know, I made this big <laughs> launch. I did this whole thing. And one race in, it's like massive injury, had to take six months of rehab, and then had some other stuff pop up in my business where I basically had to put the whole project on hold for a year. And there was a point where between the rehab and the business challenges and everything else that was going on, I was basically a year and a half into this challenge. I'd done one race. I raised like $20,000 or something like that. And I had to kind of come to terms with my, I had to like look myself in the mirror. I'm like, are you actually going to do this thing? Because if you're not going to do it, you can kind of admit defeat, but you have to admit defeat. You can't just pretend like this didn't happen. Yeah. Um, or you're going to suck it up and go out and do it and actually finish this thing. And so my confidence was kind of shaken quite a bit and I didn't know if I could do this. So I was like looking at the races, seeing if I had, I had to change a bunch of the ones I was planning on, but I needed to kind of reestablish trust with myself that I could actually go out and do these races. And so I signed up, you know, after this first one that I made this big announcement and then ran into obstacles really publicly, this next one, I was in Chicago and I was like, I'm just going to run this race in Chicago and I'm not going to announce it. I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm just going to do it and see if I can prove it to myself that I can do this. And so I did a, it's like a 50K in Chicago and I finished it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to tell people I finished it now. Now I've got two done. And now how do I schedule out the rest and get the rest done? But there's a lot of race moments. There's a lot of other stuff. But I think one of the toughest things was being 26 miles into the challenge, literally at the point where a marathon becomes an ultra marathon and then having a massive injury. And then after that, being a year into the thing and saying, you have not accomplished what you said you were going to accomplish. And you either need to own that, deal with the challenge and finish it or quit and move on to something else. But you can't just have this thing hanging out there over your head. And so that was a big like logistical and mental issue that I just had to like break through because when you go from like, hey, I know what I'm capable of. And then you literally have to rebuild your body from scratch. It's a whole mind game you have to play and and figure out. And you know, in some ways, that's harder than running, you know. Yeah, it's the, like you went from 50K. like, yeah, you went from zero to 100 and then to negative. Yeah. <laughs> like afterwards. Had you run a marathon prior to signing up for this? Were you a runner prior to thinking of this idea to do the seven yeah, ultras? Yeah. So, so the background on this was a couple of years prior, maybe two years prior, I ran one ultra marathon and raised $25,000 to build a school. That was super impactful. It was, we got to go to Guatemala, actually see the school get built. And then that's kind of what incepted the idea. The tagline of impossible is push your limits. So I'm like, I'd like to do that again, but I can't do the same thing. So I want to do something bigger. And so that's where that came from. Before I started Impossible, I wasn't a runner. I played basketball growing up and a lot of sports, but I'm the guy who joined my college track team as the javelin thrower because all my friends were running track. 
But I was like, I want to hang out with my friends, but I don't want to do anything that involves running. <laughs> and up till I was 23, 24 years old, never run more than like a 5K. People signed up for 5Ks and were like, oh, we're going to do that. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. Like, people show up and just run for fun on the weekends. <laughs> what the fuck is um, that? And so it was kind of through impossible. I kind of got interested in triathlons and kind of started working on triathlons and realized like, oh, you just did a half Ironman. You basically just did a half marathon. I guess you're a runner now. So then got into running, did distances from there. And I remember the first time I did a marathon, I thought, you know, that's enough. I'm good. I'm good on distances. I never need to do that again. Then, you know, once you finish a marathon, I just started finding out about the ultra community. I was like, well, that's interesting. And that's how I kind of got pulled into the ultra space. Who did you look up to prior to this? Because it's one of the questions that always intrigues me to ask because just from hanging around you, like you're the guy that likes to push your limits. And was that just natural or was there somebody or was there another brand or was there a community that you were a part of that kind of rubbed off on you? Because it's one thing to like go from like hanging out with your friends. Like most people do this. I hang out with my friends or I join a beer league or I do whatever, but the transition of, okay, I'm, I'm in this beer league and just hanging out with my friends and doing what they're doing just so I get time with them to, okay, I'm going to run more than 26 miles at a time and I'm going to do it on seven different continents and I'm going to build a brand around it. That obviously takes a little bit more motivation than the average person. So if you could just dial into a little bit, like where was your mindset at the time to like allow you to get to that point where like, this is what I'm going to do. Was it people? Was it podcasts? Was it books? Like what was the formula to you getting that off the ground? Yeah. So it's funny because he's so big now, but back in the day, David Goggins was like a pretty underground figure. He had like this blog spot that his ex-wife used to write and like do updates on. And he didn't have his site. He didn't like have a big brand. There were a couple of videos on him. But I remember seeing a video about Goggins and I got to interview him a lot, uh, a couple times back in the day, 2012 or so. And he shifted the way I was thinking about like, he has that quote about, you know, when you think you're done, you're only at 40% of what you're actually capable of. That's from like an old video he did like in 2010 or 2012. I think it's in his book now as well. But so when I talk about ultras, specifically there are three people. One was Goggins, one was Dean Carnazzi's, and one was Rich Roll. And so Carnazzi's, I remember I used to have a job at like a college rec center, you know, at the weight room, check-in, basically scanning people's stuff. And there was a couple different running magazines. And I remember hearing about Dean Carnazzi's and like Badwater and all those things. I'm like, that sounds crazy, but knew about the challenges, but didn't really know the details of it. When I started Impossible was right around the time that I think Rich had done like five Ironmans on five islands in seven days or something. It's some crazy challenge he documents in his book. And so that was like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. And then Goggins was just always kind of in the background. So from an endurance standpoint, that's what the inspiration was from. But from starting Impossible, there's basically three different people that I I typically talk about. One was uh, an author called Donald Miller, and he has a book called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And the book is basically about, he wrote a memoir that got really popular and they turned it into a movie. And in the process of turning the book into the movie, he realized he had to edit the book a lot to make it more movie watchable. And then he basically, it's a little bit of a weird scenario for him because the memoir is his life. So he's basically editing his life to make it into a better movie. And he talks about all the things that he would do to edit his life to make it into a better movie would also make his life better. And so if you start thinking, you know, we talked about uh, 
Zach at Live a Great Story, one of the refrains that always came back to me in like 2009, 2010 was like, your life was a movie. Would anybody want to watch it? And when I started Impossible, I was living in my parents' basement, unemployed, couldn't get a job, watching a lot of Netflix. And I was like, if my life was a movie right now, it would be a movie about a guy sitting on his couch watching other people's movies. You know, like that's a pretty shitty movie to watch. And so that was kind of an impetus to do something. And then there were two people doing interesting things that I thought were kind of jumpstarting me into actually thinking I could do stuff. One was Chris Gillibo. He writes a blog called Art of Nonconformity, produces an event called the World Domination Summit, and has a podcast on side hustles and business. Side hustle school, right? Yeah, side hustle yeah. school. So, yeah. so Chris, really good friend now, but I remember seeing him. He was trying to go to every country in the world. And I think I had looked up how to go to every country in the world because I wanted to do that. And then I saw this guy who was actually doing it, and he was like really close to being done. And I was like, damn it, there goes that goal. You know, like I, <laughs> like I couldn't do it now that someone else has done it. But he was just talking about like, you don't have to do things the way that everybody else says you have to do them, which resonated with me because up until that point in my life, I had graduated college, done all the things you were supposed to do. And it wasn't getting me the results that I wanted to. So I was like, okay, maybe I should try something different. The other person that, um, and yeah, this kind of like the trifecta is like, there's a guy named Sean Ogle who runs a blog called Location Rebel. And Sean was a year older. He's, I mean, he still is a year older than me. But when we started, he was kind of in the same spot I was. He was reading Chris. He was looking at like doing something interesting with his life. He had all these things he wanted to do. And I remember when I was thinking about like, maybe I should start a blog. Maybe I should do something. Sean had been blogging for like a year. And then he decided to quit his job and move to Thailand and take like an apprenticeship with some of our other friends, Dan Andrews, who runs Tropical MBA, which is another podcast. And so I saw Chris and Chris was aspirational. Donald Miller was kind of motivational. And then Sean was like, just a few steps ahead of me. And Sean made me realize like, if Sean can do this, I can do this because he's not so different from me. And he quit his job, moved to Thailand and just started pursuing the things that he wanted to do. And so I didn't have money to travel to Thailand. I didn't have resources to start my own business. But one of the things on my list that I wanted to do was run a triathlon. And I was like, you have excuses for all these other things, but you have no excuse for not going outside and just running around the block or getting on your high school bike and riding around the block until you're, you're trained up for this thing. And so that was how I got started testing the limits of what I could do. And when I did my first triathlon, I realized I spent so much time talking about how this was impossible for me. And then I just went out and did it. If that's the case, then what other things out there could I be doing if I just trained for them or worked at them? That's kind of the origin story of how like, I, I got started from a, you know, the ultra guys were really inspiring from like, hey, you could do, you can come up with crazy ideas and just go do them. And then this other crew was just like, hey, you can actually put things out in the world and make stuff on your own that you think should exist. So that's kind of like the one-two punch, if you will. Hell of a story. And I loved how you just pieced together. Like what it made me think of like is people should be thinking who would be on their Mount Rushmore. Cause when you said like, what was the aspirational motivational and three steps ahead? Yeah. 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 Something like that. So it just, yeah, it made me think like, summary. damn, like you're a blogger. I like to write too. Everybody out there listening to this needs to have kind of that Mount Rushmore of like, okay, who who is motivating to you? Who is aspirational to you? And then who's that person that's maybe a couple steps ahead of you that you could directly learn from? And I never thought about it in kind of like that aspect. So thank you for sharing that story. I want to learn a little bit more because before we hopped on here today, like I was reading a lot of your blog posts and before I 
interview any guest or have a conversation with anybody, I kind of look into their brand and like what they've been up to and what they're writing, what they're posting. And I really resonated with the, with your writing style. It's direct, but also kind of like what you just did with the Mount Rushmore, like using acronyms and things that are easily retainable for me to use in my everyday life. When you first started blogging, what direction were you going with it? Because I read like obviously the past years type of blogs, but having started a blog myself years ago and knowing that like it seems almost impossible to like start the blog itself. And I know that when you have an open canvas, it's intimidating and overwhelming. What direction did you start with when you started writing? So I still have my earliest blog posts on the site. A lot of people, once they like build out their site and they have like their niche and they're like, okay, I want to delete all my old posts because they don't fit and know who I am now. And I thought about that and there's reasons to do it, but I've left them all up because I want it to be part of my story. And I want people to be like, you can literally go read the first blog post that I have on the site. I think it's about like, well, here goes nothing. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's terrible. Right. And, and then the first one is about, In a great like, way though. Like, yeah. 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 And also reminds me that like, okay, if you were that person, you've grown into this person, who are you in five years that you're going to look back now and be like, that was kind of a silly way for you to look at yourself or view the world. So I think the first stuff that I wrote about was about training for this first triathlon. It was like, I signed up for this thing. I think I'm going to die. You know, like I'm probably going to drown. And then I have something about going to my first spin class on there. And I don't remember all the details. It was kind of funny people told me i don't know but the all i remember from that blog post i should go read it but it's like the spin instructor was just playing like party in the usa the whole time and that's that's the only thing i remember from that blog post miley cyrus um so i didn't really have a direction i was just like here's the things that i'm going to try to do and then i'm going to write about them as i do it and then sometimes like i don't know if you go on a run i i kind of defrag my brain on a run like i solve so many problems or come up with like so many either motivation, a lot of the motivational stuff is motivational stuff to myself. Like, it's not like, Hey, you should do this. You should do this. I'm like, if you take one lens on my blog, it could just be like notes to myself from me. And that's probably a pretty accurate way to look at it sometimes. And so a lot of times it would just be thoughts that I came up with on the run or when it started transitioning from just me talking about myself and building an audience, I started trying to be a little more helpful. So like, instead of just being like, here's something I'm doing, that's a race and who cares about this guy that's trying to train for a triathlon? It's like, how could you train for a triathlon? And, and what's a programming methodology that you could actually use? Here's things that I ran into from a recovery standpoint or from a training standpoint. Here's some mental tricks, you know, like racing strategies that I've used to keep going, stuff like that. And so it's kind of morphed over the years from just like personal experiences to motivational stuff to like practical tips. And now impossible is kind of a mix of all of them. We want to motivate people to push their limits and do something impossible. We want to like give people the fitness and training tools to actually go out and train to go do these challenging things that will change their life. And then a few years ago, we launched the e-com part of the brand and that's performance gear and apparel and supplements to help fuel them while they're out on their limits doing the impossible. So it's kind of organically morphed into its own thing where we want to help people every single step of the way. And I didn't have that intention necessarily when I started. I didn't necessarily know where everything was going to go, but you just kind of have to start doing it. And you give yourself parameters where you're like, I think for a while, I was like publishing every Tuesday and Thursday. And it was just like, 
you got to write something. And you're like, I don't know what I'm going to write this Thursday. And then if you have that contract with yourself, you show up and you get it done. What's up, guys? I'd like to take a second to thank you for tuning into this episode with Joel. I hope you are loving this conversation so far. But before we get back into it, I have an opportunity I want to tell you about. As we all know, life is hard. It can beat you down, have you feeling low, and make it seem like you are alone. I'm here to remind you, though, that the most worthwhile journeys, they are not meant to be taken alone. And right now, you have the ability to take action and join others, including myself, on the mission to make every heartbeat count. Head over to cjfinley.com and sign up for my daily newsletter, where I will be giving you information, impactful stories, tips and tricks, and access to a community who are focused on making an impact above and beyond themselves. You'll also have the perk of exclusive giveaways, potential shout outs, and possibly even some collaborations. The least that will happen is you will walk away into every day with an extra pep in your step. My promise is that I will always do my best to help you thrive on life. And this newsletter is one of the best ways for me to help you do so. So if you're looking to get to the next level of your life, connect with like-minded individuals and have a daily dose of info that will help you thrive, sign up for my newsletter at cjfinley.com. Now let's get back to the conversation with Joel Runyon. Fitness and endurance and the writing kind of collide because I saw on one of your blogs you were talking about like you sign a contract with yourself to like go to your workouts at Atomic Athlete and it's just like no matter what you're showing up and the only thing that's guaranteed is that you're going to show up five minutes early and like no matter how you're feeling what that day is bringing outside of that gym like you're going to be there five minutes early and put the work in and it's the same thing I think with starting anything especially like a blog and writing because actually Jerry Seinfeld when I was listening to his podcast I believe on Tim Ferriss he was talking about like people think that I just have this magical idea and I just go write it down. But the reality is most of his best writing are on the days where he didn't even want to write, but he made a contract with himself that a true writer writes at the same time every day, no matter what he's feeling or what his thoughts are or whatever. And then the magic comes from that. And the reason I asked that question in the first place is I think a lot of people, especially uh, in my audience, are high achievers, go-getters, and people that want to start things, but it's very overwhelming when you have that open canvas. And I like how you broke that down where before you try to educate, lean into just documentation and figure out what it is that you want to try and you want to do in your life. And then along that path, you're going to be doing research. You're going to be bumping into people. You're going to be learning new things, reading books, listening to the podcast. And that's where the value comes from. You're not going to be able to run on day one. Like you're just walking if you're lucky, maybe even crawling on day one of whatever you're trying to do. Well, even if you're just learning something, like it's not like we need more new information, right? Like there's a lot of information out there, but information curation is really helpful. It's like, hey, there's all these resources out there. Here's the ones like I spent a lot of time researching and finding this stuff and this is what I'm using. That filtration and curation is is really, really beneficial to a lot of people. And so even if you're not like the expert on something, you could still be like, you're training for high rocks, you're training for whatever, like this is what I'm doing. And I'm not saying it's the best thing. I'm not saying it's whatever, but this is where I started. This is where I'm going. And this is the result that I got along the way. And that's how I did it. Like there's a lot of value in those N equal one case studies. And to that point, a lot of people, if I bring back the Mount Rushmore, a lot of people want to be the motivational or aspirational person, but like you can be that person that's two or three steps ahead of that other person that you are inspiring. So if you're listening to this, no matter where you're at in your life, like 
I talk to my interns in this way a lot. It was just like, they look up to the jobs they want to get or the businesses they want to build. And I'm just like, well, there's a high school student out there that would really love to be in your seat right now. And you can go help that person. And the beauty of this conversation is I can take it in so many different ways. Um, I want to make sure that I'm going to voice this out. So I make sure I hit these, but the nonprofit side, I want to learn a little bit more of like, why the schools and how did you get involved with that and how'd you build that? Cause I think people that are listening to this, like anybody can start making an impact like you did. And then the second part, which I'll ask you right now is what have been the struggles in business and how have your physical feats and the things that you considered impossible helped you in the business world? Because that's where I think not enough people realize how the running and and the doing what looks like on the outside crazy things actually help you do the monotonous things in the business world that get you to the next level. So what, what, how has that looked like in, in your world? Yeah. So I'll take it back to like race one, which is an indoor triathlon at Lifetime Fitness outside of Chicago. The first triathlon I ever did was an indoor triathlon. That's the one I was sort of scared of doing. And I signed up for an indoor one because I was like, if I start drowning, I'll just stand up in the pool. You know, like, I'll be okay. Um, I didn't even know they had indoor ones. Yeah, I didn't like, know there was a thing either, but that's how, like, that's how, like, broken my mind was at the beginning of all this was, like, I was, like, I don't think I can do even open swim or whatever, so I'm just going to, like, I'll do literally the lowest level triathlon there can be. And I finished it, and I'm still in my parents' basement at that point, and I can't get a job. I'm, like, four months out from getting laid off after the Christmas rush from UPS, Starbucks, and Target won't call me back. It's the middle of the recession, and I'm just spinning my wheels. And I did that race, and I was just like, if you spent so much time telling yourself that this was impossible, and you just did it, what else could you do? And so then I was like, okay, well, I'll sign up for another race. Cool. And then I started looking at other areas of my life, and I was like, you don't know what you want to do with your life. What do you like? And I was like, I like the internet, and I like marketing. And I'm like, cool. Go to Craigslist and just Google internet marketing. That's 2010. It's, so many. So, it's crazy how different the world is in those yeah, 12 yeah. years. But, but even then, it was just like scam, 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 <laughs> scam, 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 scam. So, you know, some things don't change. But I found this one thing down in like Carmel, Indiana, where they were looking for like a salesperson to help like sell websites to like restaurants in the area or something like that. It was this internet marketing firm. And so I went down, I liked the guy. And they're like, well, it's like an all commission job. And we'll give you like a $200 like stipend to like, gas or something like that. And so I basically moved to Indiana, lived on my sister's couch for three months, trying to sell expensive websites to restaurants that don't make any money and quickly realized it was like not working out, but I was paying attention and I was looking at this business and the business had basically two products. They had these websites that they were trying to spin up and just chop shop websites, but terrible product market fit did not work at all. They had this other thing that was like 15 to $25,000 retainers on marketing to multi-million dollar companies. And these companies, the websites were hard to sell. Clients would always go back and forth about like, we want to change colors, et cetera. You know, they're not great clients. These multi-million dollar companies were like, yeah, okay, this is like a line item. Do it. They're always really happy. And it seemed like we could sell them other things. And so I'm still getting paid to sell websites that I'm not selling. So I'm making $250 and I have like a cell phone paid for by them. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> uh, but I started looking over here and I was like, what do you know, what if we could do this and just like popping in over here on stuff that like, I'm not really authorized to help out with, but I just started doing stuff. And after three months, they're like, okay, well you're doing a lot of different things. So we'll give you like a $1,500 a month stipend now. So you're making like 18 K a year plus 
you're definitely still going to sell these websites. So making zero dollars a month on these websites. So making like 1500 bucks a month, still sleeping on my sister's couch, do another three months of this and start like impacting these retainer relationships in measurable ways. And so six months in, I'm just like, listen, guys, I've made like five grand over six months plus got my gas paid for. Like, can we get like a real... And at that point, they didn't have a job for me. Like they didn't have like a position available, right? But they knew they couldn't afford to let me leave. So they ended up hiring me as not a crazy salary, but it was like a real person salary. And then worked my way up to marketing director at that firm over the next year and a half. Ended up getting recruited, going to another one, worked there for a little bit, worked on some Fortune 500 company accounts. Then it wasn't until like two years later. And this is like, I'm running impossible. And I'm like trying to launch some products on the side and I'm doing different types of races. But like, I still had like a day job I was working at. And two years after that or so, it was like when I quit, I was like, I'm going full-time on my own stuff now. And so what's interesting about that is the, like, I think they're connected way more than people want to think they are. Like, once you know that like you've done a race and you get to a point in the race where your body wants to give up and you're like, I think I'm done. And then you figure out how to do like the mental override and keep going. You start looking at that in other areas of your life. You're like, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I don't like my job. I don't want to show up today. Like, I feel like nobody's going to hire me and I can't even keep a job at UPS. Like, okay, go make your own job. Go do your own thing. Go figure it out on your own. And figuring that out in my mind is just like, you create new pathways in your brain and new ways to think about things. And so instead of being like, oh, well, all the options are blocked in front of me that were presented to me, it's like, okay, well, at this point, I know how to make my own routes. And so that's not even about business. That was just about like the building the entrepreneurial mindset. Literally, I don't think I would have a business if I did not set out to like run that stupid little indoor triathlon and allow myself to shift my perspective on something physical. The thing I love about physical challenges is if you run a three-hour marathon, you're a person who runs a three-hour marathon. It doesn't matter what the mental story in your head is anymore. It's like, there's a piece of paper, there's a document somewhere. And it's like, CJ Finley has run this time on the marathon. And it's, it's documented, written in stone. So anytime you start self-talking to yourself or whatever, you start doubting yourself, you're just like, well, it's historical fact now. So I should stop questioning it and just get on to doing. And that was really helpful for me when I was struggling. I was like depressed. I didn't have a lot of confidence in myself. And I at least could point back at the race and be like, I didn't think I could do that. And now I did. So just find the next thing and then find the next thing and then find the next thing and keep going. Brick by brick. That's the beauty of it. And where my mind goes when you were telling that story, because it relates so much to thrive and like the path I was on in the, in the beginning of that, where it started as just me like personal training other people and gaining confidence in that area. And that all started with, I was just training myself and then people were coming up to me like, Hey, could you help me in this area? And there's so much to be said about working on yourself and gaining that self-confidence and then everything else, like the doors open after that, because you start realizing when we go back to when we're children and then teenagers and then young professionals, for me at least, it felt like so much of my life and the doors that were opening or closing were not within my control. So getting to the next grade was only within the limits of how well I did on tests or getting the job was, okay, how did my grades look? Rather than looking at it from a lens of how do I create the job or 
create the opportunity. If all the doors are shut and everyone's telling me life is one way, why don't I just make a new way? And that's where I'm going to segment this into, I love what you were doing with the nonprofit side where you're literally helping people achieve the impossible and helping kids. Because I think one of the biggest issues we have in this world is we take kids that do believe in magic and then adults tell them that magic doesn't exist because that person lost it within their lives. And then kids, as they age, start the self-doubt, the depression, the anxiety, all the things that the adults kind of put on them. And the beautiful part is here in Austin, Texas, we have a lot of people like you and like a lot of our friends that are like literally stripping away all those things that we were taught to help people achieve the impossible. You mentioned early on that the the school aspect started, you, you started down that path, but do you remember the first instinct where you're just like, I want to raise money for this cause? Like what, what was the, the spark to that? So can I talk about one thing before yeah, I talk yeah, about that? Ahead. So there's two things that people get wrong about impossible. They either they think everything is impossible and they're just like, I can, nobody, you can't do it. Like whatever, like uh, it's, uh, it's just too difficult, not going to try. They're wrong. The other thing is that people are like, anything is possible. It's just, all, all you have to do is believe it. It's just, uh, there's a quote everybody uses, and it drives me crazy. I, I hate the quote. Um, it's Aubrey Hepburn. She says, nothing's impossible. The word itself says, I'm possible. Because it's like, I'm possible. <laughs> I think it's- I've actually I, never heard that. Oh, it's, I don't like puns. I'm sorry. I think it's a dumb quote. Because people get really excited and they're like, oh my gosh, like anything is possible. You can just do whatever you want. It's like, okay, turn into a butterfly or whatever. Like it's not- they have to have some grounding in reality. And the thing is like, not everything is impossible, but not like anything is impossible, but impossible is the correct orientation. Like you should be consistently pushing after the things that you think are not possible. And then as you push your limits, you're finding out layers and layers and layers and layers that you can do way more than you think you can. But if you just think like, oh yeah, everything's possible. Then it's like, it doesn't give you any ground to stand on. It doesn't give you any traction and it doesn't give you any mobility to go forward. Even when I was in my parents' basement, oh, I'm just going to run like an ultra marathon on every continent. And like that wouldn't even resonate with me because it's such a different, I had to become a different person to be able to do that than where I was at the time. And where I was at the time, like what seemed impossible was like not drowning in the lifetime pool. And so it's, I think, both more encouraging and practical than either of those two mindsets when you think that like impossible is not a statement it's a challenge and it's asking you are you going to step up to the challenge have you ever heard of the my first million podcast yeah yeah sam yeah they talk about sam wears our impossible shirts yeah. all the time S sam Parr, shout out to my first million i was listening to something that's been sticking with me lately it's the a to b to z mindset like most people like to your point they're either thinking like oh I'll never get to Z. That'll never happen. So why even try? Or they believe the Z is just like going to happen in this lifetime. And it's just, that's not realistic, right? So the thing that I think about is just like, you mentioned like Craigslist back in the day. And if you're seeing a video right now, if we're recording, I'm holding up my phone. And just like, to my parents, if you go back to when they were our age, they'd be like, this is fucking impossible to have this thing where I can like FaceTime my parents and they can see me. They live in Charlotte, North Carolina, and they can see me in Austin live while I'm recording this podcast. They would be like, that's fucking impossible, right? So there's such a fine line of that. And how does someone determine 
that though. That's the thing that you kind of just made me think of because for us, I get it. I'm a logical, practical thinker. Like I think the foundation I'm on right now, like I know that it's not impossible for me to run a 430 mile. Yeah. Let's say 430 mile. That's fucking fast. But it is definitely impossible for me to run a 430 mile unless I become a different person. Yeah. Like if I stay the same foundation that I am now, how does someone like stay in that realm though? I think people think about it too much a little bit. You don't always have to think about the thing that you're going to become next. Like what's your current fastest mile time? 504. Okay. So what would it take to be like a 450? Like, a to B baby. Yeah. A like to you B, don't have to do 430. Z. Like maybe you could do 430, but like maybe that's a lot easier to get your mind around once you break five, right? Like once you get under that. And I have this thing called an impossible list and people talk about impossible lists and they're like, oh yeah, like it's like a bucket list, right? And it's not a bucket list. Like a bucket list is something that people make one time, they get all excited about, they write it all down and they're like, never do anything about it. People are like, oh, I made a bucket list, here it is. And then most people's bucket lists are completely untouched because they got excited about it, doing it, they got the dopamine hit and then they didn't do anything with it. And the impossible list is kind of focused on what feels impossible right now. Okay, how fast can you do that now? Is it going to take a month? Is it going to take a year? Is it going to take six months? What is it? But go do that. It's like with High Rocks, like what's your goal with High Rocks? Like maybe you want to win it. Maybe you want to do whatever. But like how fast can you do that in the next competition? Is there like a stair-step approach? What is it? And start at the thing that feels difficult or impossible right now, but you can actually wrap your mind around it. Like if you're like, hey, 430, like that's a training protocol right there. Like that's crazy. That's like realistically tough. So cut five seconds. That's hard, but you can figure that out. And so I just think people get too bug-eyed. Like impossible list is focused on what feels impossible right now. Push up, break through that limit. And then once you become someone who runs a 459, you're like, maybe that's enough. Maybe you're really good with that. And you're like, okay, I want to you know, hit strength goals and keep this time. Or you're like, I want to do 445. I want to do 440. I want to 430. And then you get a better map of the terrain. I uh, analogy I've used in the past. Did you ever play like Command and Conquer back in the day? No, like what the is computer that? game. My, uh, I'm showing my age here. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> hey, I'm only four years behind you. Yeah, so yeah. Like... <laughs> so uh, it was like a computer game where you have like a base and you're building out your base and you don't see the rest of the map. You see your base and there's other people on the bases and you got to like fight and like compete for land resources, right? And you don't see the entire map at first. It's just like. You see your space and then like a little bit of a radius around your space. And part of your job is you have to go find resources. You have to find the enemy. And then you get the resources. You build up stuff around your house. Then you build that up over time and then you win the game. A lot of this is like when you think something's impossible, it's just you don't have enough information. Like you're at the beginning of that game where you only can see this and you don't see what the rest of the map is. And so if you want to run a 430, you don't even have enough information to know what type of person you need to become to run a 430 yet. So don't do that. Just expand enough to become the person that knows enough about breaking a five-minute mile. And then you'll know. You're like, okay, I can kind of see 450 over here. I can see 445 over here. I still don't know what 430 looks like, but I have more information. And so pushing your limits looks a lot like expanding that map. And it's like, okay, you just got to you send a scout out over here. You send a scout out over there. You build a little base over here where you're like, you know, this is really important. And then it gives you extra additional space. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about, this is going to be kind of a confusion analogy. But that always intrinsically made sense to me when I was playing the game. And then when I started looking at like my life like that, it's like, okay, like one of the things I want to do is like I want to, I want to learn kite surfing. And I've been working on like stand-up comedy, right? I don't know what it takes to become 
a Netflix comedian, right? Like, I don't know what that looks like, but I do know what it would take to like bounce around to a bunch of different Austin open mics and then like get on a show and like, maybe I could put together my own micro special in a way. Like, I think I have enough information to do that with kite surfing. I don't know how to become a world champion kite surfer, but I know enough kite surfing to like, okay, I know enough places that do really good kite surfing. I know enough places that I could do some tricks on some stuff and then like get good enough to decide if you really want to get great because a lot of times that is a a different type of commitment. You can get pretty good at something, but to be top 1% or whatever, it's like a whole step function. Yeah, it's, I love this breakdown. My buddy Jimmy, CEO of Super Coffee, I was talking to him one time, he was talking about to get from like zero to 99%, to get that extra 1% once you're at 99, it takes as much energy as it took just to get to the 99. And that's what it makes me think about. And that's where like, I love your thought process on like the good to great, where I think a lot of people don't start things because they think they have to be great at them rather than finding the value and just becoming good at a lot of different things, testing that, tasting that, and then realizing like, oh, I don't even really want to be great at this. Like there's there's plenty of people that have tried high rocks with me and they do it once or twice or three times and their intent is never to be like really great at it. It's just to show up, test themselves and then go on with their day. Now me, when I started doing it, I was like, I want to be great at this. And then started reflecting back, what is it going to take for me to be great at this? Oh shit, it's going to take like two a days. I'm going to have to dial on my nutrition. I'm going to have to focus on my sleep more. I'm going to have to focus a little bit less on the social activities that I've been doing and like really dial in to becoming great at this thing. And I think to that point, choosing where you want to be great, again, I think is not something that we're really taught. When I look back on my life, you're like told where you should want to be great. You should want to be great at school. You should want to be great at your desk job that pays you a lot of money. You should want to be great in all these areas, but we don't get to try enough where it's just like stand-up comedy, for for instance, like that scares the shit out of me. I will podcast in front. Like there could be a million people live right now watching us, completely fine. But like, what is it about comedy that makes me so scared or fearful? Now flip, the comedy for other people out there with running. Maybe someone has that same fear of just literally running out there. But I think like when I think of comedy, it's because I'm already thinking of Z. I'm thinking of like when I get up there to do comedy, it's going to be me, Dave Chappelle in front of thousands of people. Rather than like comedy literally could just be like what we did PowerPoint night. Like I make a, like, just like you did in front of my friends, I make a PowerPoint and I just test it there. So I love how you broke that down. And I wanted to like, kind of continue with that. Cause like people need to hear it. Like they, they, there's so many ways that they could just like go that A to B. And yeah, that good is actually really good. Like good is better than not doing it at all. Right. Like with comedy, people think they have to be like this crazy comedian. Just go to an open mic. If you're talking about like getting more information about a space, don't even go up at hope. Just go to an open mic. Watch an open mic for two hours. It's probably going to be pretty painful. Like open mics are notoriously not always very fun because people are testing out jokes. People are bombing. There's a lot of people that are not great comedians at open mics, but you know what they are? They're there. They're showing up. They're testing things out. And when you watch people, you realize like, again, it's that person that's one step ahead. It's like, maybe they're not a great comic, but they're on stage. 
And it's like, maybe you can't be Dave Chappelle yet, but you could probably get on stage. You could definitely get on stage. All you have to do is sign up. Like, it doesn't take that much. And, you know, I have a lot of people, you're, you're wearing an Atomic shirt right now. And Atomic is like, I work out at Atomic. People say, oh, I can't go to Atomic. It seems too intimidating, whatever. And they think it's just all like crazy people at Atomic. But there's a lot of like moms at Atomic. There's a lot of people that just like show up and do the work. And they're maybe not like finishing first in every single work cap or they're not, you know, throwing up more weight than everybody else, but they're there and they're showing up. And so, yeah, it's this idea that like you have to be Dave Chappelle in comedy or the best of everything to be like, you know what? If I get better at kite surfing, that's going to make my life like more interesting. I think if I get like pretty good at comedy, I don't need a Netflix special to like have that like enhance my life. And like, you can do that with the same amount of effort that like you keep up with like a Netflix show on. That's how I typically look at it. It's like, I could pay attention to the next season of never watch Game of Thrones, but it's like they come out with a new season. You're like, I could pay attention to that. Or instead of spending an hour and a half on that, I'm going to go work out some bits at an open mic on the same amount of time. And it's really just prioritization of like, do you want to prioritize social activities? Do you want to prioritize like entertainment? Do you want to prioritize skills? And for me, I think the most enjoyment I get out of life is like learning new stuff, especially stuff that I really like, even if I'm not good at it. Like I'm not that great at kite surfing, but it's really fun. And even when I was getting dragged through the water in kite surfing, I'm like, I'm pretty bad at this and I'm having a great time. So if I get good at this, like this is going to be awesome. So there's a lot of value in just being good. And there's a lot of value in just showing up even that doesn't take that much more effort than just physically putting yourself in those scenarios. There's so many ways I can go this combo, but we're already at minute 50, unfortunately. And I would love to have a three-hour conversation <laughs> with you, to be honest. I'm just um, across town. We can yeah, run back. So. We, can, we, we can run this one back, which we will. But before we get into our wrap-up questions, I'd love to re-go back to that question because I'm always obsessed with education reform and like education and helping kids and the youth make this world a better place than what we live in today because that's really... What I see is the point of being a human being is make the world a better place while you're here. And then when we leave it, leave it better than it was. So the fact that you raise money to build these schools like really touched me because I could see Thrive doing something at some type of capacity. One day I'm going to make that happen. That's one of the things that I view is like, wow, that's impossible. But then I saw that you do it. I'm like, fuck, like, that's really cool. You literally used one skill of running to raise the money to then make the impact that really sits near and dear to my heart. So where did that initial idea come from to do that? So we had done some stuff with Kiva. Is like Kiva is like a social lending program that helps entrepreneurs get funding and like kind of a loaning program. So we'd done some stuff with them, kind of like help entrepreneurs in developing countries. Like, okay, they got like a rice business, like buy the first inventory of rice, then they sell it, whatever. So we'd done that. And I think... Pencils of Promise, the partner that we built the schools with, it's a nonprofit out of New York and they're awesome. They found me a while ago and they approached me to be like, hey, we just saw you ran a marathon. You say nothing's impossible. Have you thought about running an ultra marathon and using it to raise funds for charity? So they like were proactive. And I was like, that sounds ridiculous. I don't want to run an ultra marathon. And then they're like, Rachel like guilt tripped me. She's like, but it's for kids. And I'm like, good point. That's really tough. But I'm like, an ultra marathon sounds tough. And so I was like, okay, but maybe I'll do a short one. Again, I'm not, I don't have to do a 100 miler. An ultra marathon starts at like, most of them start at like 50Ks, which is like 31 miles. So it's five miles longer than a marathon. And if you can run a marathon, you can run an ultra marathon. It's 
a little bit tougher, but you can do it. So I was like, okay. But then I was like, we could build a school or a classroom. And a school was like 25 grand. A, a classroom was like 10. And so then I was like, $10,000 sounds like a lot of money to me. Like, let's just do that. This is the problem with impossible is it's really hard to turn down a challenge. So like, oh, you could do 10,000. We're like, well, it's a school impossible. And you're like, damn it. Don't use my word against me. So I decided to build a school and we ended up raising more money. The goal was 25,000. We raised 26,000 and built the school. And then I got to go to Guatemala. I got to see the school. I see the impact. And then, yeah, I just wanted to do more. And that's where 777, we built seven more schools. And I think this is kind of cool and important. And impossible.org is our kind of philanthropy arm. It's not a nonprofit. It's just where all the information lives for all the philanthropic stuff that we do. And a lot of people talk, you know, it's really cool to talk about activism these days. And people are really talking about like mission and social mission and all the stuff they do. One of the problems I see is like, they're outsourcing it to other people. They want other people to change things. They want other people to pass laws and stuff. They want other things to happen that don't start with them. And what I think is cool about what we did with impossible.org and the way that I've tried to approach stuff is that even with fundraising, we're not fundraising really outside of the impossible community. It's kind of fundraising from within the impossible community, but even more so like we're making money through impossible and then donating that money. So it's not even like the axis of control is right here. It's not waiting for other people to do stuff. It's not asking other people for other stuff. It's like, what can I do about this in this situation? It's like, okay, I can run marathons. I can raise awareness. I can make money and I can donate money. And it's like, you talked earlier about you know, how can I affect this change or how can I make my own things in the world? And, you know, if I was waiting for other people to be like, yeah, you know, like education is really important and like someone should do something about that. Like we should pass some more laws to give more foreign aid to Guatemala so they could build more schools or something like that. Like, I guess that's a route. But for me, what hits home and what is materially impactful is that it's like, okay, how much is a school? It's $25,000. We can do that. Or we can figure out a way. Actually, when we started it, I had no idea if we could do that. It was like scary and terrifying. I was like, I don't think we can. And then we did. And we figured it out. And what I love about the model is that with a lot of activism, people take on the morality of the issue. And they're like, I'm a good person because I care about this thing. And other people should do stuff about it. And with this, it was like, okay, we care about it. Well, they care more about the issue than they care about the result. And you were, and you sometimes they the care result. about being known that they care about the yeah. issue, right? And so with this, it's like, one of the things that actually I like, we like doing charity without talking about it sometimes. It's, it's a weird conundrum where you want to like raise awareness and awareness is a currency of some sorts and you want to be able to help organizations you care about. But the more I've actually done it, the more I want to talk about it less because I think there's something meaningful about doing impactful work or just doing the things that you care about without having to tell people that you care about it. And either way, I think... When you can say, hey, I care about this issue and I'm going to do something about it and I'm not going to wait for other people. I'm not going to push down the line and I'm not going to do it someday. If you're going to do it someday, you should start today because you could probably do something today in a way that's going to make a difference. And you don't have to have a billion dollars. You don't have to have made it to make an impact right away. So just like you don't have to be Dave Chappelle to go do stand up or, you know, win high rocks to actually start competing. Like you probably don't have to have a billion dollars before you start making impacts in small ways, whether it's education system, whether it's, you know, stuff you're doing with the podcast, whether it's like the homeless guy on the street, there's probably something you can do on a day-to-day basis. It's going to make an impact. It just reminds me of the show Overtell. A lot of people, especially in the digital world now, will tell you Mm -hmm. how the world should be rather than show you how the world should be. 
and showing you how the world should be start, starts with yourself. Every little action, like how do you talk to your your wife or your husband or your friends or your kids? How do you show up as a human in your gym, in your community? How are you showing up there? That's where your focus should be. And I hope that you keep sharing and, and showing because for me, I mean, you just inspired me to start rethinking of like, okay, like I could raise 25K and build a school. Like that's how I think. Like that's yeah, yeah. that's impossible, but not like t- it's on that realistic realm that we were talking about. I was like, why haven't I ever thought out. about that? Yeah, once you latch your brain onto the idea, you're like, I'm pretty good at solving problems. That's a problem. I'll figure it out. Yeah. And to be specific, I, I've actually never talked about this in public, um, but I've been, I, I told you when I first met you that I was thinking about running a 50 miler and uh, I actually switched it to running the exact age that my wife's father died at of a heart attack. And then you've actually helped me piece together on during this conversation of like, I need to find some type of cause that I care about. It goes beyond the telling of it. But for me, it's the showcasing the documentation of that process because if I'm on this end of the line with you where I, like, I physically can go to your website and see the schools you built and then I'm just like, wow, I could do that. It seems impossible, but I can solve that problem. I want to be that person to somebody else out there. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know when I'm going to do it. I don't know. I don't really even know how it's going to happen. But you've kind of created an environment where that impossible idea starts to have legs and foundation. And I think at the end of the day, that's that's really what your brand and just speaking with you does is causing people to like take a step back and be like, okay, well, I had this one idea where at first I was just going to like get better at running. And then I was just like, I don't really want to want a half marathon. My wife, my wife is really good at half marathons. Running on concrete, 26 miles, doesn't really do it for me. I don't want to run a marathon. But like, I see these guys doing like these ultra things and it's like through the woods sometimes or on mountains. And I'm like, that actually attaches with me. And then I started piecing together, okay, well, how do I add even more value to this? And now here we are today where I kind of get to hear hear your story and hear the breakdown of that. And now my head is firing on all cylinders. And so I just wanted to say live, thank you for that. Cause after this, I'm going to ideate and figure out how to make that happen and, and really put a plan together. Um, but we're getting towards where we're wrapping one, up. One, one thing on that real quick. So like the best advice that I've ever gotten, it was for business, but it applies really well with like races specifically. It's like find a problem, commit to solving it. And then like put your balls on the line. <laughs> It never gets less terrifying because it's like your balls are on the line. But if it's in business and you have a sale that you want to close and you're like, I'm going to do this. And sometimes you close it, you're like, I don't know how I'm going to do that, but you're going to figure it out. With races, I do this all the time. Like, I don't ever feel ready for the races that I'm signed up for. But that's the terror of that is part of what drives the commitment to train, to become the person that can handle it. And so if you're thinking about it, like that's one of the values of like public accountability is like once you tell people, once I told people I was going to do 777, I was like, really consider your words before you say you're going to do something. But I like to think that once I've said publicly, I'm going to do something, I follow through on it. And you have like that trust and that integrity with yourself that like, if you have that, then committing to it and saying it and putting your balls on the line is a great motivating factor. If you don't have it, it can be terrifying and, and demotivating. But like, if you have that trust and integrity with yourself, you're like, all right, I'm the person that figures this out and I'm going to do it. And then 
yeah. figure it out. I, lo- I love that. And it's definitely the type of person I am. The fault that I always have is that because I, I do love solving problems, like I oversolve the problem <laughs> rather than just saying, you know what, like I'm going to do it on this date. Here's how it's going to happen. I kind of tend to like overstep. I've, I've got a lot better over the years just by, I think it's just age. You start realizing that like you kind of lower your anxiety and just say, you know what, I'm just going to show up and will my way through a couple things. Elon talks about this, like don't over-optimize a feature that doesn't even need to exist, right? I saw you post that and it really hit home with me because like I've seen that before. And as an engineer, like I got my degree in systems and industrial, which is like efficiency engineering. And it was one of those big things, like people are going to hate you because you're going to come in and tell them that they're doing their job the wrong way. And then, so I'm always thinking like when I have my job, like how do I make this 53 mile run as efficient as possible where someone's handing me water here and, and like, you're getting away from the fucking point at that point, CJ, like just... Pick a date, figure it out. But having a conversation with you has really opened my eyes into like how to bring more value from that thing that I had signed up doing. So the thing that I'm doing that's impossible, what seems like impossible to me, how do I help other people and grow that reach just by doing that thing that's impossible to me? And that's not something that I've really thought through up until really just this episode. So I want to thank you for that. Last wrap up stuff we do uh, on every episode is if people love this conversation with you, how do they get in contact with you? And because you didn't get to talk about it, take one minute here and just talk about what you're doing with Impossible right now in terms of like your sleep product, you said potentially coming out with energy product, like talk a little bit about your brand on the the business side, just so people can understand. And if they want to uh, invest in you and in those products, they can as well. Yeah. So Impossible is really kind of a collection of things. We want to inspire and motivate people to push their limits, do something impossible. That's on the blog at impossiblehq.com. We want to help train and prepare people to actually go push their limits and do something possible. A lot of that involves physical fitness. So we have a ton of free tutorials, training programs, and a custom training app at impossiblefitness.com. And so if you're like, I don't know where to start on my journey, I have like a 5k I want to train for, a 10k, I want to gain weight, lose weight, build strength, whatever, get jacked. We have protocols for that in eight to 12 week type programming at impossiblefitness.com. If you want to train hard and fuel yourself and wear dope gear, while you're going out and doing things on your impossible list, you can check out impossible.co, which is our e-commerce. And we have performance apparel and training. And then you mentioned a sleep product. We just launched a performance sleep product that helps people recover. And we have a series of performance formulations that are going to be dropping over the next six months. So we're super pumped about that. That's all at impossible.co. And then all the nonprofit stuff that you mentioned is at impossible.org. So a lot of impossible things, but if you go to impossiblehq.com, you'll find everything else. You can find me at Joel Runyon on Twitter, Instagram, wherever. And uh, yeah. Hell yeah. Last question I always ask everybody, feel free to take a second here to think about your response to this. But if I were to ask you, what does thriving mean to you or what it doesn't mean to thrive? Yeah. What would your response be? I would say it's the pursuit of challenges that are meaningful to you. Because if you push through those, you're going to create momentum as a person. You're going to change the type of person you are, and you're going to have a good story to go along with it. So pursue meaningful challenges. I love the simplicity of that because when you pursue the better you, I look at us humans as like atoms where it's just like we tend to attract who we are. So if you're the type of person that 
is pursuing conquering the challenges on your own, you're going to inspire other people around you to do the same thing. And then again, just going back to what I said earlier in the podcast, where that's how the world becomes a better place. There's no end state to it. Yeah. That's the thing. Like it doesn't matter how much you do it. There's always going to be like a reset and there's always more to go. So you can always get better. Yeah. Thank you again for taking the time today. At the end, I always reflect on like kind of like the biggest takeaway for me. And there was a lot in this podcast, but I think really just I envision you in your first triathlon, the indoor triathlon, where you thought that the swim was impossible and that you were going to drown in that swim. And the A to B mindset of that, where if you're listening to this right now, like, what is that swim in your life? Like, he wasn't thinking about the seven ultras. He was thinking about that little swim. And we all have that in our life. It literally could just be like, you need to have a difficult conversation with somebody, a difficult conversation with yourself. It could be that you want to lose 10 pounds because you're a father, you're a mother, and you know that you want to be around for your kids. Like, it could be something so out of this world to other people around you but so meaningful to yourself and it doesn't have to be anything crazy it could literally just be getting in the pool and showing up and completing that that triathlon quote unquote whatever that looks like in your life so tons of takeaways from this podcast the best thing that you can do for me i always mention this is if you loved what joel put out here today please tag him and impossible hq right on instagram go to his blog share the story, share it with somebody that you know could benefit from hearing from it. Leave us a rating and review. And until the next time, this is CJ Finley with the Thrive on Life podcast. Thrive on y'all. What's up y'all? This is CJ again. And on behalf of the small team here at Thrive on Life, I'd like to thank you for listening to one of our episodes. Our mission in life is to help people like you fuel your passion and make every heartbeat count. And we realize the best way to do this is together as a team. So we'd love for you to join in on this mission and connect with like-minded individuals within our Thrive on Life community. To do so, please head to thriveonlife.com and connect with us there. We'd love to chat with you. Before I sign off, I'd like you to always remember one thing. When we strive together, we thrive together. So please do your part in helping others thrive on life.